It's Tuesday, June 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Tuesday. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's good to be back. Really, really thank you for being here. Let me just pull back the curtain a little bit. Because this was this was one of those days where there's just not a ton of news out there. This is first and foremost a business news podcast, and when it's earnings season, there's no shortage of things to talk about. Couldn't you talk about Brexit every day? Oh my heavens, that would uh, that would be brutal. <laughs> that would be brutal. Your your listeners deserve better, you say. I'm saying there's a lot of Brexit talk out there. I feel like we've we've sort of done what we're going to do to this point on the Brexit conversation. Yeah, I was a little cavalier about it last week. I think a lot of people <laughs> were cavalier about it, and that's why it was so stunning that the vote went the way it did. Yeah. Let's. Uh, we, we've got some uh, mailbag that we'll get to. Uh, we've got some news, though. Uh, let's start with Carnival. Uh, second quarter profits and revenue for Carnival Corp. Both came in higher than expected. And yet, uh, while the stock was up about 4 or 5% at the opening of the market, it very quickly gave it all back. Why is that? I mean, this is, this is the cruise line. Is it, is it because they lowered guidance for the current quarter? Is it because everyone just sort of had a moment where they woke up and remembered, oh, wait, this is Carnival Cruise. Yeah, I'm not bidding this stock <laughs> up. What, what, what happened here? Well, Carnival Cruise has not had uh, such a bad past that it, it's subject to people remembering that this isn't much of a company at all. So, uh, it, it's done better than that, although it's trailed the market over most representative periods. But what happened is that, the, as you say, the guidance was cut for the next quarter, and the future is always more important than the past. To the market uh, in trying to evaluate what the future profits are going to be, which is how you gauge the value of a stock. So, even though the last quarter was good on uh, good in comparison to expectations on both the revenue and profit side, uh, the second quarter guidance is is not as strong and, and is coming down. The stock is coming down in reaction to that. Are cruise lines as a group? Uh Subject to seasonality, is the summer just not going to be as good a a three month period for the average cruise line as say spring or fall? Summer's a great time uh, because families are out, as kids are out, vacations, the whole family are taking, and the rest of the season, all the you know, if you want to take a free next to free cruise, hey, October, November, they have to run these ships all the time. And there are a lot of deals in the off season, so it's it's like, you know, Disney or, or any amusement parks or, or things like that, which are tailored to family vacations, largely. Although cruise lines have a little bit more um, flexibility in, in tailoring things to uh, things beyond families, and so the peak is going to be your spring vacation, your. Uh, winter vacation and summer, and they fill up then, and the prices go up as soon as school goes out, and so it's a good time. A lot of the profitability uh, has to do with the, the price of oil. They're very, very, as you can imagine, huge consumers of of gas, uh, of fuel, and so that was a big help for the quarter that's just passed. 
oil has bumped up uh, a little bit subsequently, so that that's going to cut into the margins a little bit. So is that why we're seeing the re- because if you just look at the intraday trading, the stock popped and then fell roughly six percent off of that initial pop. And I'm wondering if, based on everything you've just said, it's because they're not just lowering guidance, they're lowering guidance at a time when they're theoretically able to charge more money than they were before. Yeah, I think that it, it's some somewhat got to do with the price of oil, and I don't know exactly because I wasn't able to listen to the conference call, which is obviously, I think, in a tale like this, where the pre-market stock was up 4 or 5% early early part of the the day and then they had their conference call and people digested what was being said both about the guidance and about current sales. Uh, I don't know maybe it getting back to Brexit could have something to do with people talking about uh, you know some of the some of the uh, guidance they would have given of what they expect in relation to that. Uh, they're going to have more uh, more of their itinerary is going to be around Europe, uh, the proper continent, than than England, which is not a big uh, cruise hub. Uh, so, and you're going to have fewer Brits uh, being able to afford the American cruises and and things like that. So the stronger dollar, uh, which has happened in relation to that is uh, you know to Brexit is going to affect them. We've talked recently about restaurants as an industry and how that industry has performed significantly better than the retail industry. The Wall Street Journal out with a story this week about how restaurant traffic growth has completely stalled in the last three months. And I'm wondering if you look at this as a speed bump or you look at this as prelude to a worsening economy in the U.S. Well, the the journal article, which uh, references a study by I think NPD, uh, talks about the the stalling in what is the largest chunk by far of restaurant and that's fast food and that the fast food growth uh, has completely uh, leveled out and and is at, at I guess zero percent over the March April May so the Fast casual, which is you know a, a step or half step up from fast food, and you're talking about Chipotle and you're talking about Panera and and things like that, is still showing. You know, as of the the most recently released data, sort of four percent growth. So that is is a thing that is still growing, but but the fast food, which is a far larger chunk, has stalled, and that may be. Maybe the the product of a number of things, a slowing economy uh, is possible. The increased prices that are beginning to flow through from increased uh, labor uh, as as minimum wage has been going up in certain uh, jurisdictions. And that's uh, that's something I don't think in the longer term that the trend of people eating out more is changing, uh, but it may be that it's impacting fast food. Which is not other than McDonald's innovations of, of you know, breakfast, and the, so McDonald's got a huge surge from that more in the last quarter than than this quarter. So that it's not it's not got that new breakfast growth coming again in this quarter. 
and and Chipotle is is part of the numbers of the fast casual, and that's still dragging that that section down. So, as a group, you're still pretty bullish on restaurants. I'm still bullish when you've got this much employment. The employment numbers are still good. Uh, you just have a lot of two-income families, and not everybody, but a greater and greater percentage of the. American economy it revolves around that, and looks like that will continue to be the case. Uh, and unless there is, a, you know, a recession where there is, you know, fewer people able to have two people working, and and that would bump up uh, eating at home when people are got to save money and also have more time to make it. Uh, but absent that, no, people are going to keep eating out more and more. You can find past episodes of all of the Motley Fool's podcasts online at our podcast center. The address is podcasts.fool.com. We've also got a listener survey that we would love your help with. It'll help us serve you better. It just takes a couple of minutes, and you can do it anonymously. So, if you could help us out, we'd appreciate it. Uh, The survey is online at podcasts.fool.com. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Emily Hyde, who writes, I am currently an MBA student. And there was a heated debate in my valuation accounting course in regards to share buybacks. I, I, You're picturing the heated debate. I'm aren't picturing you? the heated debate. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing. I'm hoping that while there was no violence in the room, I'm hoping that it got personal in Emily's valuation accounting class, just a little personal with the share buyback debate. What 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 are you picturing here? Like what show is in your mind? What show? Yeah, I mean like a, a CNN kind of uh, where you've got the representative from one political side and the other, and they just end up calling each other names or no, not really name calling, but just sort of uh, dismissive of one another's arguments. A lot of snark. A lot of well, I, mean, I, I I suppose I understand why you would say that. But <laughs> anyway, Emily goes on to write. I was reminded of someone on your show's strong position against share buybacks for the reasons for the reason that many students cited. Firms initiate share buybacks when the stock is high and then end up suspending buybacks to preserve cash and essentially burn their cash reserves. The arguments for stock buybacks was to avoid dilutions, rewarding shareholders without establishing a dividend that will then be expected moving forward and increase earnings per share in some cases. I'd love to hear your position in regards to why you don't think it's beneficial for firms to initiate share buybacks, despite the benefits that can sometimes happen. And is this to me now? That's to you. Yeah. Okay. Emily's not interested in my position on this. She's interested sure in some, she is. Some, someone who is actually what more, is your position? Much more of an analyst. My position was: I think I'm going to get Barker on the show <laughs> and put this question to him. So. If share buybacks are sort of part of a completely nutritious breakfast, that is a, a a part of their capital allocation, then I like it. Companies which respond to a lower share price and and sort of announce a, a planned share buyback uh, as as something that they think is going to support the stock price in the short term, I'm, I'm a lot less interested in. And companies which are saying they're buying back shares but are Giving a lot of shares to employees is as part of the compensation package, and don't really end up reducing share count. Um, you know that was a big problem for share buybacks in the late '90s, where you know the big tech companies were buying back a lot of shares at very high prices, and that didn't end up benefiting shareholders uh, at all. So, a company, give an example of, of 
a company where you have to be pretty impressed with the share buybacks, and I think I've talked about it on this show before, is AutoZone, which has bought back 80% of its shares over the last 15 years or so. AutoZone is able to open up stores at the rate of maybe you know four or five percent at store expansion in a year, uh, get get some same store sales improving, and at any rate, when you work all that down and an improvement in the margins, there they wind up with a lot of cash, a lot of extra money at the end of the year. And what do you do with that? Well, do you then say, hey, we've got all this cash, we could open up stores at a faster pace than four percent? Well. I'm glad they haven't. I'm glad they've been buying back their shares for the last 15 years as somebody who's allocated money to AutoZone in the mutual funds because they've got just higher than than expected returns on equity, higher than market averages, and they have used more or less all of their excess cash and more to buy back shares. Most of that time was at cheaper prices than today's prices for that company. So. It does come into uh, the calculation of what is the price that you're buying back shares at. Companies are still buying back shares pretty aggressively right now. Instead of taking all those excess profits and expanding business, uh, essentially there are four things that you can do with your money when you're when you're a company. You can buy back shares. You can pay a dividend. You can expand your existing operations, uh, or you can acquire another company. Or you can let it sit in the bank, and letting it sit in the bank has got zero return. So, those are the four things you do, and the you know return to shareholders. I, I believe in the studies that I've seen show that that buying back shares I think is either the the second uh, first or second most valuable thing that in in the aggregate uh, for shareholders. I think my reaction is whenever I hear about a share buyback from company X. My first reaction is always, well, what is their track record? What is the you know what is the context for this? Because if it is a situation like AutoZone where it's, oh, this is an experienced management team, this is a plan that has been in place and executed on for years. In the in the case of AutoZone, well over a decade. Well, okay, then fine. But anytime I dig a little deeper, and it really seems like. I don't want to say panic move, but it seems like it is in reaction to well, you know, you can just picture the executives in the room and saying, "Well, gosh, what are we going to announce?" Well, we got to do something. Uh, let's do this in absence of a, a a much better idea or even a slightly better idea. Well, let's do this. Yeah. So, Royal Caribbean, not Royal Caribbean, sorry, uh, Carnival. Part of the announcement today, and it's not helping the stock, is that they have. Uh, announced a new one billion dollar stock buyback. Now they have bought back shares in the past. They've knocked down their share count a little bit over the last ten years, which is probably a better use of the money than say let's just build one more huge ship. They they can grow their profits faster than they can really uh, economically grow their fleet. So taking some of that money and returning it to shareholders, either in the form of Dividends or or buybacks uh, is is appropriate if there's a reasonable price. Right now, Carnival is going for about eleven times earnings, eleven times forward, forward earnings, and so I think I think that's not a bad use of their of their cash. Uh, they could go out and buy another 
company, uh, another fleet, another, you know, as they have bought in the past. And they're not just Carnival. They're also Princess, best known for? The Love Boat. The Love Boat. Sure. Sure. I mean, and Princess Cruise Lines. Here's where we now go off on our tangent. <laughs> those that have been waiting, who are baffled by sticking to the, the topics as long as we have on this particular show. How much do you think that helped Princess Cruise Lines? Twelve. Twelve? Twelve. Twelve <laughs> X or just twelve? Twelve. That, that, was, that was a pretty good uh, advertisement for going on a cruise, the so, love boat. Yeah. I mean, that worked for a long time. One wonders why there hasn't been you know, uh, anybody tackling an update on, on the love boat mythology. Can you see like J.J. Abrams taking that on and doing something <laughs> fairly interesting with it? I, th- I think if if J.J. Abrams is rebooting the Love Boat, then something horrible has happened in his life. He's being blackmailed. Just you know, some insane billionaire is is forcing him to do it. I ju- I just don't. See. Maybe not, maybe his team. One of his lieutenants. I, I can. I'm see. not doing this, but I'll, I'll executive produce this. I'm not going to be the hands-on it's, it's producer. It's sort of a you know a, a cross thing with uh, Lost. You can see that. Like instead of getting on this island from a plane crash, now the love boat, and you've got that many more characters that you can work with. Right. That's not necessarily a great ad for the for the <laughs> cruise line. I'm not saying I've worked out. <laughs> All the details yet. I, I don't think Carnival Cruise Line is like, yeah, we want to be associated with a show where our massive ship runs aground and people are stranded on an island for a very long time. So, in researching this, because I felt this was relevant to today's <laughs> show, uh, when Love Boat was shown abroad, as remarkably it was in in France, they didn't uh, they take out as they usually do uh, the the laugh track. So it was a little bit more of a serious presentation of, of romance. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So you're picturing the love boat without laugh track. That's weird. <laughs> that would be really weird to see that. And they're speaking French too, I assume. Wow. Now I'm just I'm trying to Yeah, that's one of those things that, that laugh tracks can be can be annoying. Uh, or they can be helpful. And in the case of a show like The Love Boat, which is a sort of quintessential 1970s television, uh, the laugh track really helped a lot. It was written around the laugh track. Oof. Wow. You ever uh, play any Chugboat in your college days? No. What is no? What is Chugboat? That, that's one of the original drinking games to, you know, watching TV and drinking rules around the game. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, so it's a drinking game. It's a drinking game. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know it had the name Chugboat. Really? Is that an Ivy League thing? <laughs> is, is that what you, you felt like you, I don't, you needed I don't to have a so. name for it as opposed to like, oh, let's just call it a drinking only, game. Only Ivy Leaguers know what the word chug means. What? I don't see where you're going with this. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe at Yale it felt like, no, we, we need it. We, we need, need something intellectual about uh, right. drinking and, to the love boat. And monogrammed sweaters to go along with it. Um, uh, thank you to Emily for the email. Thank you also to the number of people who sent us email about, because uh, the last time we were talking about Montreal, um, thank you to Ariana Petrella, Bo Buckman, Matt Guarino, Hoda Mare, and Alan Fournier, um, who sent something specifically for you about dogs and getting dogs over the border and the documentation you need around vaccinations and that sort of thing. So, But so many great uh, recommendations in terms of things to do and places to go. And So thank you. Our listeners are great. Just, they don't have to help you and me with our, our stupid vacation planning, and, and these people and, did. And yet. And yet they did. So, thank you. 
Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>